did the injury on your ankle have an effect on you going forward in your career? Absolutely, without a shadow okay. of a doubt. I think when you talk about um, my life in mental uh, and my mental health, I think that that was a straw that broke the camel's back. And it wasn't until later on and I seeked help that I understood then this wasn't a one-off incident. This injury wasn't related to me having depression or anxiety or insomnia or addiction. This has been brewing since the age of 13. And I think it happens with a lot of people that you can kind of take a step back and, and go back to um, younger experiences. And for me, it wasn't necessarily my upbringing. Um, but it was my, um, I had to deal with a lot of loss at a young age, um, uh, suicide of a friend, loss of family members, and I didn't deal with it throughout my whole life. And the Man United game when I got injured, although I played on through the injury, um, standing on the turf at Old Trafford, um, looking at the Stretford end, standing in the tunnel with the players, meeting Sir Alex, seeing meeting Louis van Gaal and Ryan Giggs not as um, a player if you like because I wasn't in the the lineup or the squad because of the injury that hurt that hurt me a lot and I never fully recovered from it if I'm truly honest so what when you say what if you don't mind me asking what what hurt you specifically about it was it not just being in a team or feeling alone because you weren't part you weren't part of the team and you were you, you, yeah, like, to be honest with you, and this is no fault of anybody's, this is just how players, uh, and I say players because I'm sure I'm not alone on this, is that when you suffer an injury, you feel almost a little bit disposable. You feel alone, as you said. You don't feel part of the group because the most important people, apart from the fans at a football club, are the 11 players on the pitch at any given time because they're the people that are going to get you the result and it's a results-driven business. So when you are one not in that starting 11 and two not even on the bench, you almost don't feel part of it. And although it's fantastic um, for the boys that are playing and you're happy for the lads that were playing, I felt so alone. And you're often alone in the treatment room because um, you have your own re rehabilitation programmes and it is a very lonely time being injured and and that was like a trigger that, like a trigger for you was that that was that absolutely just, yeah it was a trigger um and like i said there to to john that i never fully recovered and didn't really understand why i felt the way i did and um it wasn't until last year really um when i checked into sporting chance that i kind of understood that it was a lot of problems that I carried along with me um, from my past. Because I guess, I guess, John, it, it, it is like Liam's saying, it, it's the sort of, um, it's the perils of professional football, isn't it? Because, you know, you sort of, um, if you, don't, you, know, you know, you've got, how can I put this, you know, we've all got us kind of issues, but perhaps after football ends or something happens in football, it's, We've all got to address these issues at one point in our life. Uh, John? Yeah. I, I don't think, Dan, 
that it's football. I think this is a huge worldwide problem. Yeah, Absolutely. sorry. Uh, sorry, yeah. I'm uh, in this. In this, I, you know, I appreciate that. You know, we are we are in the football world. Me and me and using, and it's a mate. I can feel Liam's pain. Um, before I come on to what I was going to say, I just want to ask Liam. So, when you felt alone, in terms of out of um, the team, where did that take you? in terms of the next place. So when you talk about depression and addiction, so you were out of the team. So where did you then go for your solace? Um, alcohol. Um, okay. So you, okay. Uh, yeah. So I took, I'll be honest, is I cannot pass the blame on to any single person because I had a supportive family um, at the time with my ex-partner she was at home with my children my children made me happy as as any parent would say um, and and truly I on the outside looking in I did have everything that you could probably want given the situation and the circumstances of the injury however in my head and I know that you understand this when I say it um, in my head I was wired differently so football was taken away from me I was alone. That was my life. Like I give everything to it, and now it's taken from me. And I shut off from the the world. I shut off from my emotions. I shut off from the people that loved me. I shut off from the support. And I turned to alcohol to suppress those feelings. And it gave me. And this sounds again. This it, not many. Not a lot of people may understand when I say this, but alcohol gave me the confidence to to go to in the dressing room and be what I thought was Husey. It gave me a, a bravado, uh, 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 an almost uh, an extra lease of life um, that I thought at the time. Um, and then obviously I didn't realise how out of control I was. Okay, so fantastic. I, I, I get that to a T. So going back to me, so... Um, I'm now actually having a, a slightly different thought process to my normality of where I think football might have taken me. So I go back to my early childhood and I was adopted from day one. When I say adopted from day one, my mother, my, my natural mother, um, was given a choice when she became pregnant with me um, she'd had an affair and I became um, what came out of that affair and her husband at the time came back and said you have a choice so your choice is um, you can stay with me and we can bring up our two girls uh, together as a family uh, but you have to get rid of you have to give the, uh, the baby up for adoption that was her choice okay so she made the choice to give me up for adoption, which when I look back on my life and where my sisters have been, it was the best thing that's ever happened because I had a fantastic upbringing with my parents. God rest their souls, both of them. It was fantastic. Yeah. But mentally, subconsciously, being rejected at such a young age gives me a trauma that I take through the rest of my life 
and until I address it, it becomes monumental. And you know what? You know what? That's it's that word trauma because it, it um, it's people not addressing trauma, is it? I mean, people think trauma is some you know something sort of massive, but it's just uh, trying to um, it's really trying to process those emotions. And I and like like Liam was saying, you know, you can suppress it, you can suppress it, you can suppress it. But one day you've got to look it straight in the eye, haven't you? You've got to address it. You've got to address that trauma, John. It, it, I believe if you want to go forward, yes, yeah, to a better place. I don't want to tell people that you have to address it because I don't know. All I know is from my own experience. Okay, through some reason that I accept myself in the past, the trauma of being rejected has pushed me to an addiction over years of gambling, to becoming a alcoholic, um, or not, probably not being my first addiction. And as we spoke about earlier, about um, perhaps Liam and I not being the um, greatest players who've ever worn the amber and black, the adoration that you got from being just a workhorse, like more than a workhorse, but both of us, but just putting your heart on the soul, on the, on the line, and getting that feedback back was an immense part of why we went onto a football field, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I totally because, agree. Because I think that. Another part of that, Dan and Liam, what I hope will agree is that when you don't play so well and you are getting that, not adoration, but slightly less favourable comments from the side, yeah. that's when it's not helping you so much and people don't see that because the more, you know, and we've all been there when managers have, got, uh, have been given you know they're, they're slaughtered and they're because people in the football club pay their money they have their opportunity to say things rightly so but sometimes you can just go to a point where it affects you too much and my solace was i'd run away to a gambling hall to a bookmakers into a bottle i couldn't hold down a relationship all for whatever reason but until i looked in the mirror and decided that actually I didn't like what I saw and I needed to, to, to change um, seven or eight years ago. And now I'm in a place where all I really want to do is try and express my experience yeah. like Liam does, you know, to help other people. Um, but it's, you know, it's been a journey. No, it's been amazing. So, so Liam, how did you, I mean, I, I remember, you know, in the uh, early, you know, the, your time at the Abbey, I mean, how did you, John was, and John was mentioning about when you don't get the, you don't get uh, screams of adoration from the main stand or the Habin or the New Market Road. And how did you, I mean, how did you deal with, you know, the, the, the criticism? on the you know? I think uh, just touching on what John was saying there, a lot of mental health um, issues are related to fear. Um, and fear is a massive part of life. Um, not, not that you're physically scared, but mentally scared of judgment, men mentally scared of rejection, yeah. uh, being on your own. 
And for me, my biggest downfall was that I cared too much about what people thought of me. And when I thought I had a good game, that wasn't necessarily the opinion of other people. Uh, I used to, and I I advise against it to any players, um, but I used to go on the public forums, the, the fan forums, read the forums about things that were said that were sometimes real personal attacks on myself. Um, and I took it really to heart as a as a real attack on my on my character, you know, and and I allowed that to affect me mentally. Um, and I know I shouldn't because you have to have some form of um, strong mentality. But as John was saying there, I I would have died for the cause. I'll put my heart on the sleeve and. I was very conscious about what people thought of me. Um, and and when I didn't necessarily have a good game, I'd, I'd go on the forums and read about what the, and the comments and every comment that I used to read about myself uh, um, was almost like an ax just chipping away at, at me. And yeah. I, I allowed it to, to take over, over why I was doing it. And I kind of lost sight on the reasons that, I was, I was out to prove a point and perhaps it, it didn't go so well and sometimes it did. But either way, even when I had a really good game and I've read and I'd read the forums and see all these positive comments, I didn't believe it because the negative ones stuck in my brain. And to deal with that, as, as John said there, the coping mechanisms were to, to drink, um, to find my way through bottle after bottle until I forgot the reasons I I was almost numb inside and um because I and and you know what <clears throat> I look back and you almost become a different person and a lot of people who know me wouldn't have ever seen it because I was I became the master of putting on um, the mask or and, and hiding what I was feeling inside I'd go to training and Nobody would think any different. I still wore the same horrendous clothes, still had banter, you know, and still put on that, that uh, the mask, as I said there, of I was laughing, I was joking, I was very much part of all the banter, um, often most of it directed at me. However, I enjoyed it because I was making people happy. I was making people laugh. And I wasn't happy unless other people around me was um, almost smiling happy if they were happy i was and it kind of took over my life if i'm really being honest yeah so uh, that's okay so that's that's so you know a couple of things that sort of come out of that for, for me for me for me liam is you know you were from what you were saying, it appears you were perhaps that low in confidence. You were perhaps looking for that sort of external validation by going on the message boards. I mean, yeah, absolutely. As, as, as a player, I think that you, you are in constant uh, need of reassurance um, uh, if you're doing the job. And I was looking for my reassurance from, from the wrong places. Um, I mean, you, you play every week because the manager believes in you and that should really be enough because if you're not doing your job, 
as ruthless as it is, you don't play. Yeah. So obviously I was doing something right, looking back. Um, however, I was seeking my validation from the terraces. I wanted the 4,000 people that were coming to watch us every week. I wanted every single one of them to think, I like Husey. Yeah. And as John said there, you have to get to a point where you accept that that is... That's that's not the case. That's not reality. That's that's um, a figment of your imagination. That's what you imagine it to be like. I have a good game. All th- four thousand people are going to share the same opinion on me, and that's how my brain worked. Because I thought if I did something well, I'd you know I'd I'd, I'd get that the accolation and then and and people loving me and. I've, I, if I look back at my life, as John, as John uh, was saying there, this wasn't uh, something that I just developed at the age of 16, 17, through my uh, teenage years into my early adult life. This was something that was with me from the age of four, five years old. You know, This was something that has always been a part of my life, my earliest memories of constant need of reassurance and attention. And when I was younger, um, I would misbehave, uh, like misbehave and do bad things to get that assurance of my mum or the attention of my mum, because my dad used to work away. uh, And my my parents are still together. I had the best upbringing, really supportive. My dad followed me all over the country with football, but he had to work away a lot when I was younger. So it was really my mum, me and my brother, and my younger brother used to get so much attention, obviously, because he was a lot younger than me. And I kind of felt, oh, I want the attention, but I didn't know how to get it in the right way. So I would misbehave. And that was literally me to a T throughout my, my entire uh, younger, younger life. And then throughout school, that stuck with me. And my behavior kind of got worse as I got older. Um, and I'd get in trouble. And like we go on youth club roofs and, and get, I, I used to hang around with the wrong people basically mm. and get in a lot of trouble. And, um, but just yeah, that, I, it was just linking that back to your child, just, just wanting that attention, wanting that, at least somebody just to look at me. I and, didn't, I, I'll be honest. I didn't realize I, I just, you kind of don't even think about it until you take a step back and, and, and think like, why am I feeling like this? And when you speak about it, like I, I, I would if somebody asked me, um, oh, how was your upbringing? How was your childhood? Absolutely amazing, yeah. fantastic. Like my mum was amazing with with um, me and my siblings. My dad was a workhorse, um, and I pride myself on on how hard he works for for my family, and and I kind of want to replicate that. But you kind of. I don't know. You kind of, when you talk about it and you talk about your experiences, it's not then until you kind of put them jigsaw pieces together and you kind of understand yourself. Because remember, with, with people's mental health, it's not, it's not about anyone else. It's almost a journey of self-discovery again. It's, it's your journey then. It's about putting your jigsaw together and understanding how you work. Because yeah. until you fully understand yourself and act, accept yourself for who you are you can never move forward as john was saying uh just just jumping in dan yeah go on amazing five minutes of just listening to liam so when he was talking about his childhood 
he never mentioned this word, and I wrote it down, right? All right, so have a look at this and see if you can read, see that. Can you see what that says? Yeah. Attention. <laughs> so I wrote that down when he was talking, right? Because it resonated with me. So my mum and dad, who adopted me, fantastic. But my mum, she was, I suppose, what you would call the head of worldwide rugby, uh, rugby, netball. <laughs> so if you imagine Blatter, right, in netball, that was my mum, right? <laughs> so she got an MBE, we went to Buckingham Palace and all that, right? She was the top figurehead, part of the top figurehead in world netball, right? So she was a off A bit less corrupt, Blatter then, but just a bit less corrupt. Yeah, <laughs> oh, very much less corrupt, bless it. Yeah, 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 yeah. She wouldn't even cheat when I was playing golf with her. <laughs> um, but she was away a lot. And you never realise what effect. So my mum, my real mum, bottom line is, when you look at it in black and white, right, she gave me away. I was born and she went, actually, I don't want him. Give him to someone else. In, in simplistic terms, if you don't know anything, that's what she did. Yeah, and then yeah. my adoptive mum, growing up, said subconsciously to me, listen, son, I'm the top person in the world netball. I need to go to Australia for the world tournament for six weeks. I'll see you later. Which was fantastic for her, right? And I understand now about my mother's decision, but at the time in growing up, I had no idea. So you have to deal with that. The fact that actually I only want to, what do I want? I want attention from a woman, please, because my mum's given me away and my other mum's gone away. Yeah. So Liam, he talks about his dad and the attention he wants, maybe from a father figure. Because however much of a fantastic upbringing he's had, his dad worked so hard he was never around. Mm. So, and then you go through and through and through and through your life. And until, and this is from my experience, until I hit a place where I don't want to go anymore. And for me, part of that was on the top of a bridge. Until you decide to look at your own inner self and accept you for who you are and what you've been through, you cannot then allow yourself to recover. Yeah. And that, and that for a lot of people is when we talk about mental health and people say, oh, well, I'm depressed. They don't, a lot of people don't even think they're depressed. They don't even know they're depressed. And, and a lot of people don't want to think that they've got a mental health issue. So if they don't think they've got anything, they don't think they've got a problem and they haven't got to fix it. Yeah. Or they haven't even got to look at it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when, when, you talk, when you talk about the addiction that I had with my, with my gambling and I couldn't go, you know, I just woke up and wanted to bet because I just wanted to run away from something. And at the time, I didn't know why I wanted to bet. 
and it doesn't really matter in life's grand scheme of things why I needed to or wanted to bet. I just had to accept that I was a compulsive gambler and actually just doing what I was doing was not only harming a lot of people, was harming me. Yeah. And that, that's exactly, you're exactly right. Um, sorry to put in, but it yeah. is a form of self-harm, isn't it? It's a form of almost subconsciously, it's a, it's a punishment. It's, it's, you wouldn't, if you knew what you was doing to your mind and your body when you're, for me, I was taking the drugs and the alcohol with yourself, the alcohol, the gambling, it is a form of self-harm. It's a, it's a way to occupy your mind and take you away from the place that you, you effectively live in. Because when you're, you're in the position that we was in, um, and, and like you say, uh, John, there, like the upbringing was very, um, although different, similar. We can, you can appreciate what we're saying. Um, you do just want to kind of uh, run away from that because the thoughts and the feelings that, that come into your, and enter your mind are awful. Like, my, I, I am the man I am today because of my dad and my mum. Um, no doubt about it um, in a positive way they have influenced my life in a positive way my work ethic um, is from my, my dad um, and, and my mum obviously did such an amazing um, job with me and my brothers and sisters that you, you've, got to, you've got to say like given the situation like they did the best they could um, and still do and this is, this is what I get at is that this is no problem of anybody else's but, but myself. This is my own head. And it's until you take the time, as John has, as I have, and as other people have, to understand why and learn to accept it. And because ultimately that is a part of you. That's a part of your life. That's, that makes yeah, you can, who you are. It's a big word. Can I just, can I, sorry, Dan. Sorry, yeah, Dan. Can, sorry, I just, can I just butt in there? Because I know we're talking about mental health. My own perception, right, is that acceptance, like you said, Liam, right, of where we are now is such an important understanding. Not so much understanding why, because we may never find out exactly why. Does that make sense? So if, if I look back and I say, just for today, just now, sitting here on this podcast, I accept that I am a compulsive and I know that I can't have another bear and I'm an alcoholic and I can't have another drink because if I accept that for whatever reason, I know that I'm always better place than I was when I was drinking and gambling irrespective of what the reason was John absolutely yes John. Dan so I'm just going to pause that there for a second you broke up you broke up for me we'll splice all splice all this together you broke up for about 10 seconds there so do you want to start what you were saying from the acceptance part and just follow back because it was a really really important part but you you so yeah, it was, okay. it was good. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Liam. Just let me, if if you don't mind, just um, interrupt you there, um, and 
I completely understand when you talk about acceptance of what we are dealing with a little bit more than the reasons why. Mm. If you accept I'm a compulsive gambler and I accept that I'm an alcoholic, I can move forward knowing that I'm going to be better off than I was in the past. Yeah. Rather than looking back and looking for reasons exactly why we are who we are. Yeah. Because you can look back, okay, and I can make a judgment on myself and I can say, for instance, um, when I was 10 uh, and I did ABC, yeah. that's what turned me into XYZ. Yeah. But at some point, if I find out that ABC wasn't the reason, then mentally I could be in a bit of trouble. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's not the reason why. It's just the fact that just for today, on this podcast, talking to you great people, I accept that I am not perfect. I accept that I'm a compulsive gambler in recovery. I accept that I'm an alcoholic who doesn't want to have a drink and I accept lots and lots of other things which won't mean so much to other people yeah. but to Donna for instance you know knowing that I could be still be a stubborn mule <laughs> right, is is part of the way that I have to go forward so trying not to be so stubborn is is part of recovery as yeah. is not having a drink not taking drugs I've, ne I've, I've been lucky I've never taken drugs um in terms of you know massive yeah, stuff yeah. you know um so and drinking but it's the acceptance of who we are not really how we got here yeah 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 because that allows like liam he loves you know honestly liam how long how long sort of since you've been in recovery, Liam? Um, since January 2019. Okay, so about 17, 18 months. Yeah. Now, I'm going to make a prediction, and it may be true, it may not be true, that as Liam gets older and more into his recovery, okay, I suggest that he may not need the pink hair. <laughs> and you may and you may laugh you may laugh but i was like liam so in the dressing room i was king of the banter yeah and i was not very good at the banter in fact i was really poor at it but i would be in the front singing on the microphone getting pissed before anyone else because i wanted the attention of my peers saying to me john you're not only a good footballer but you're a really good bloke yeah yeah and i know for a fact right liam very very similar to me in a lot of ways and i think that as he grows in age and grows in recovery 
even perhaps for a little bit now, he won't need the pink hair because he'll go even further deeper into his wand and he'll realise, I just need people to like yeah. me for who I am, yeah. not the fact that I've got pink hair. I understand what you're talking about. Mm. I know exactly what you mean. I think that, like you said there, the burning question for me for so many years was why. Um, and it's a question that's uh, an unknown and will be unknown for for the rest of my life and a lot of people. Um, because you cannot actually, if you think about it, you cannot answer the question as to why. Um, create, and, and I, like, I would push you on that. You can always create, a, this is the thing, you can always create a story, can't you? You can always say that happened. Absolutely. To repeat what Shaggy said, that happened, and therefore that happened, that's why I'm reacting like this. And I became the master, yeah. I became the master of blaming uh, this is how, how far it took me, my addiction and my alcohol addiction, is I had a, I, I had a blame culture then. It, yeah. it went a bit further as to, right, I can't answer that question now. I can't answer that question why. Yeah. But I'll tell you what I can do. The guy who cut me up on Newmarket Road at the traffic lights yeah. and made me slam on and be late for training, that's my reason why. That's yeah. why I had a drink tonight because the guy cut me up. And it's something so tiny that could trigger my mind as to acting on it. So it could be anything, you know? So uh, why, why am I feeling bad today? Right, I've got a newborn baby. She's been up four times tonight. I've, I've not got a wink of sleep. As new, new parents go through, that's life. Uh, I haven't had a wink of sleep. That's the reason. Yeah. That's the reason I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I am today. It's not because of xyz it's because of that or as i said there somebody's cut me up or a cyclist is in my way that's the reason why i'm going to do that i've had an argument with my missus that's the reason why i'm going to drink yeah. you know so i had an excuse for absolutely everything without and do you know what as uh, going back to what Je uh, jez uh, quickly the one thing that stuck with me throughout my entire time and from knowing Jez he pulled me in his office and I I kind this was before anything come out and uh he pointed at me and he said do you know when you blame somebody you've got three th fingers pointing back at yourself and that's even stuck with me today something so small is that now I look at myself before I look at anybody else I I genuinely feel that as John was saying that I'll never know the answer, answer as to why I feel like this. I'll, I'll never know that, but I accept it now. But it's and that, as, you're, as you're talking, it's that kind of balancing that personal response. It's not blank. It's not personal. It's not to beat yourself up about it because we shouldn't be absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, it's with, that, with personal responsibility and of you course, know, you know, with any with any action, there's always a reaction, and it's not it's not the action that defines us. It's how we react to the action. So for so long, I acted and, uh, sorry, I reacted um, in a negative way. I punished myself uh, by the drink, by the drugs uh, and by bad decisions. Whereas now, an act, look, life is never going to be perfect. There's things that will happen today that won't go how I planned it in my head. Um, I'm sure you're the same and John's the same. There's certain, you cannot control everything and you have to accept it. You can press the record button. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you, you know. know what? It's it's how you react from then. <laughs> you know, it is it's how you then move forward from there. And it's the same on a football pitch. If you give the ball away, it's not the fact that you're giving the ball away. It's the fact that you stand there with your hands in the air and you're moaning. No, you react and you get the ball back. And that follows you. That's not on the football pitch. That's in, um, in any sport, in any walk of life, is that with an action, you have to react in a positive way. And the more times you react in a positive way, you then develop um, a level of understanding of, of what your trigger points are. And I know, John, you'll understand trigger points because, uh, with, with everything that we've been through. Um, and that's what I'm learning more and more about myself every day is that my trigger points, um, we all have them, and that I now try and react in a positive way more so than I do a negative. And I'm not perfect, as John said, because I still react in a negative way. I still get frustrated when I'm in the car and someone pulls and cuts me off. Still, I'm human. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, I'll, I'll try and react in a positive way. And that's, that's how you get better. And talking about reacting in a positive way, I mean, do you want to just give us um, a bit of a, your background on, or tell us about wands? Because, I mean, I, talking about reacting in a positive way, that was, I mean, we chatted on the phone briefly a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? But just yeah. tell the viewers about what, what you're up to now. So I went into rehab in January of 2019 to get help with my drug and alcohol addiction. Um, accepted a lot of things and came out of there um, almost a new man with a, a better understanding. By no way uh, a finished article because recovery never stops. Um, it's something you have to practice every day. Like John said, one day at a time just for today, which is a really good book that I tend to uh, drop in the night of. Um, and I set up Wand. Not really. In Sorry, Liam. Can we, uh, uh, Liam, can we name check that book? What, what, what's the book called? It's uh, Just For Today. Uh, it gives you a daily reading, basically, um, of the year. So whatever the date is, um, you turn to, so for instance, random, whatever today's date is, um, you scroll through the book and you would read it. So Just For Today. And it just gives you a reading of, uh, of empowerment um, where you, you look at it and you think, okay, I might not be able to do so, whatever it is today, but do you know, just for today, I'm not going to pick up a drink. Yeah. Okay. To, just for today, I'm not going to take drugs. Just for today, I'm not going to gamble. And it's a way, uh, it's a way and means of getting through your day in a positive and having a positive outlook because ultimately you have to set yourself goals and you have to set yourself a routine. Uh, and that's been the biggest thing for me is that, I, I live by just for today and one day at a time. I have it on the bedside table over here. It's just a photo frame with what the, the term one day at a time. And I look at it every morning because that, that is what I have to live my life by. Um, but in answer to your, your question regarding one, um, it was something that I wanted to set up as an organization to, to give people a voice um, to be able to understand that a lot of people are going through it and give people a platform to further develop their understanding on mental illness. Because I'm not trying to target people at crisis point, although I'm there to help them. I'm taking the initiative to, to go to places all over the country to, 
um, businesses, to colleges, to schools, because this illness does not discriminate. And although you may feel, as uh, John said earlier, although you may not feel depressed, you never know. You, so I go out and I share my story and I do interactive workshops. Um, I do talks. I do one-to-one uh, eight-week therapy session, uh, uh, sessions that um, help people on their journeys if they feel they need it. Um, and it's all about being the driving force and being a mental health ambassador where, you know, all right, people aren't going to... I talked yesterday on TalkSport um, with Mark Saggers about how do we manage expectation against reality? Because now mental health is obviously at the forefront of everyone's mind um, and people, more people are seen to be doing things. Okay, but how are we driving that home? How are we... Because we can't just expect people to, all right, because we're now mental health um, advocates and we're doing our bit for mental health, you can't then just expect people to come out um, and talk openly about their illness. Um, Because as John, you'll know, as I know, it's not that easy. So I actively reach out, drive all over the country, seeking um, young people, businesses as I've said and sharing my story and my knowledge that I've developed um, over the the past 18 months um, to help them um, further understand that and not only that how to recognize it in other people because I think it's a time now where you have to kind of take note of uh, of behaviors and how people are feeling and and have a little bit of empathy because, you know, life isn't perfect. Everyone has their own lives and, and things going on. And I want, to, I want people to, to understand that if they feel they need to go somewhere, they can come to WAND um, and talk openly about their issues. And look, it's be, I, I didn't rush it. The, the old Hughesy, and John, John, you'll know that as I come out of rehab, the old Hughesy would have gone straight into it. Um, yeah, I'm going to rush it. I'm going to do this, that, and the other because I've got an overactive mind. I had so many ideas. But I chose um, to consciously wait to focus on myself and my own development and my own recovery, uh, focus on uh, family, Jenny, the kids, um, and really make sure that I had stability uh, before I, uh, in my myself, not anything other than my own mental stability and my own and myself that I could then help other people. And this is my passion. This is, this is something that, um, that I won't give up on because nobody gave up on me when I was struggling. So I won't give up on other people, um, and myself because this helps me as well, talking about my story over and over again, because you know, the more you talk about it, the better you feel. And that's what I want to get across to people. And that, t- and that, and you use that word story. You know, you go over, you talk about your story, but it's your, it's now your, ch- it's your chance, and you're doing it. You're creating a new story. You are writing a new story for yourself. Yeah, I just think that in any walk of life, you have a choice. Yeah. Um, and I could quite easily sit and dwell on my my past choices in my past life. Um, however, I feel that it's a story that needs to be shared to empower people. Um, and you know it's going to resonate with people, don't you? 
I, I, I just think I, if you I, go I, into places, yeah, if you go into places, right, and and um, you kind of share your story, because remember, this is not this is not a story that you read at, at bedtime to your children. This is something that you've actually lived and felt that pain and understand it, like. So I want to get that across to people. And with me, I feel that I, I, if I sent you an email, I couldn't really get my message across. You stand me in front of people and I come to life. My yes. passion comes out and I'm a very, um, I speak candidly about uh, WAND and mental health and people who have suffered. And because you, be, you are passionate about it, um, this cannot fail in my mind. It, it can't fail, yeah. you know, and that's what I want to get to people because I think the younger generation really need an understanding of mental illness and the severity of it. Because when, when I first came out with mental illness, there wasn't, there was P Greg doc Cambridge United. Fantastic. Absolutely amazing for me, yeah. but there wasn't really an understanding of it. If that makes sense. And I'm sure John, you could say the same, perhaps that, the understanding of mental illness now compared to a few years back even yeah. has come on so far, but I still think that we need to do more. I, I, I totally agree, Liam. Uh, and also, if I ask you both a question, this is for a question to you, both of you, but I'm also asking it to the man on the street now who's listening to this podcast thinking that's just that's two blokes amazing stories blah 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 but what is mental illness i think i i'll um i'll answer the question with a question um as to what is mental illness because to each individual person mental illness will mean something different because the term mental illness is so broad that um it can be anything. It could be anxiety that then leads to something else. It could be um, insomnia. It could be um, anorexia. There's so many things that um, come with mental illness that each individual will have a different account of mental illness and have different experiences in life. So when I speak to my clients um, about mental illness, that is one of the questions I ask them, John, because there's no wrong answer because some people will have experienced um, loss of loved ones from a young age. Um, it could be like you went through um, with the adoption and your mum working away, etc. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer with mental illness. No, and I completely agree. My question is about how we go about spreading the word is because if you asked Mr. Smith in the street, are you mentally ill or have you got a mental illness? A lot of people would turn around and say, uh, no, I'm sorry, I haven't. But if you then ask the same person, yeah. do you get really angry? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I get re yeah, I really. <laughs> then you think, well, actually, you have got something. Yeah. Or... Um, Excuse me, sir. Do you eat too much? No, I don't eat too much. But you then think, actually, yeah, you do because you're overweight. Yeah. 
do you make yourself sick after you eat? Well, yeah, but I haven't really got a problem, like you say, with anorexia. Extra. And it could be anything. Are you stubborn? Donna, right, she suffers from a bit of anxiety. No question. And she's gone through the process of facing it full in the face yeah. and deals with it a bit like us on a daily basis, but she knows she's got it. Yeah. But probably, probably, if we hadn't been together, she might not have recognized the signs. So there can be so much in terms of, as you say, anger, stubbornness, fear, yeah. not being loved. Um, you know, just so many, you know, not being compassionate, not being sympathetic. They're all things that you look at in people um, and you can say, well, hang on, someone's died and you're not sympathetic with the people who've died in this virus. And you think, well, why aren't you? Because theoretically, when you look at it, most people, they can't be empathetic unless you know somebody's died through coronavirus. But you've got to be sympathetic to all those people who have died through this COVID-19. Mm, you know, and when you see people in groups going out, right? And listen, I've been out and I've played golf with Donna on my own, right? Last week, fantastic. But, you know, we sit here as us three, as I would say, intellectual people who know life. And we know that we wouldn't have a party around Liam's house with all of Cambridge United first team and their families invited. That's just not no, the right thing sense. to do. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, it, it's about in uh, finding out from people how they're feeling in themselves um, because the smallest thing could be something that could be changed if they want to change it. Because Absolutely. as you because as you know, there is always a different path to take. But we can't make anyone go down the path that we think is right. They have to make the decision, they have to have the choice, which they do, because they can choose to still be angry, or they can choose maybe on a day at a time to try and not quite be so angry. And it doesn't matter, as we said earlier, why they're angry. They just got to accept that they are angry, yeah. and they got to try not to be so angry. Yeah, I use the terminology in my talks that if if you left a broken leg untreated for years, the the likelihood is that in your later life that it's going to affect you in one way, whether it be infection, whether it needs to be amputated because you've left it untreated, and I talk, uh, and going back to what you were saying there, if you don't reach out um, to people, in my opinion, this is my opinion, and this is what I base a lot of my work on. If we let people go at their own rate and their own pace, and um, they might not realise, as you said, Donna, if you guys weren't together, perhaps she may have not realised she was so anxious until later down the line. My initiative and my stance on things is that 
Why do we have to wait that long to reach out to people? Because say I go and do a talk as I did uh, down Cambridge to the Cambridge students. And in my workshop, there was 100 people. Okay, I'm not going to that, to that uh, talk or that workshop because 100 people suffer with mental health. I'm going there to plant a seed of, in their mind um, about this is what, this, what steps you should take if you are feeling, and this is where I can signpost you, this is what we can do to help you, et cetera, et cetera. And what I found, uh, John and Dan, is that if you open yourself up to the vulnerability of mental health, mm. if you open yourself up to and, and kind of explain your situation and your vulnerability and that you're affected by it, the chances are that you're going to get a little bit of that in return. So a lot of things, uh, so aggression, if you're aggressive towards someone, the facts are that aggression breeds aggression. Okay. If you're aggressive, somebody probably nine times out of 10 will be aggressive back. Whereas if I sit down with somebody and I talk openly, instead of saying to them, right, tell me about you, tell me about your life, tell me about your experiences, that can sometimes be a little bit difficult and a bit daunting yeah, and sure. raise anxiety. Whereas I, I introduce myself, I'm Liam Hughes, uh, ex-footballer, blah, blah, blah. This is my story. And then I share parts of my story with them. A lot of the time, people go, oh, I can relate to that feeling. Although... Although that didn't happen to me, although my best, like one of my best friends didn't die of suicide when he was 13, although that didn't happen to me, I can empathize because I did lose somebody at a young age and I felt the exact same as you did. And then you kind of go from expecting people to talk openly to actually engaging and, and getting something back in return. And that's what I base a lot of my things on is that okay, you're not alone here and here's why, hmm. okay? And here's my story. And I'm standing in front of you in the terms naked, showing myself and my emotions and my feelings, what I've been through and my suicide attempts and my drug addiction. And then you kind of get a lot back from people in return. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I understand, Liam. It's, we're very fortunate, Dan, jo, Liam and I, that um, we sort of found ourselves. And we put ourselves into this arena, if you like, this arena of vulnerability. Yeah. So we understand that when you put yourself into this arena at some point certain things that we do we're not going to be very good at or we're going to fail and in fact we're going to fail big time yeah so because we can't help everybody all the time because some people i have a friend who's been from school he's a friend of my best friend alcoholic we got him off the streets about six months ago into a bus shelter, blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's gone back to drink. Yeah. Um, and 
you can only go so much. You've, you know, you put yourself in that arena, vulnerability, fear of failure, but the pathway that he chooses will be his next one. Mm. Does that make, does that make sense? But because we know that at some point people are fearful of putting themselves into that arena because their innermost thoughts are so vulnerable. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, it, but it's such a, cha- it's such a challenge, isn't it? Because it's, if, you know, I'll be very open as well. You know, I've, I've suffered from anxiety and depression, you know, not, it hasn't been helped by watching Cambridge United over the last 20 years, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but how do you get across to people that the other side of that being really, really vulnerable is, is that, is that growth? You, do, do you know what I mean? It's you, you, to, yeah. to, John, John just hit the nail on the head there. Um, it's almost the old cliche, you can take a horse to water, isn't it? Is that there's only so much. We're putting, we're putting ourselves out there now to say, right, listen. Because ultimately, when you feel alone, you, you feel a little bit weak. When what I'm saying to you is, right, do you know what? I'll be your strength. Come with me on this journey and I will help you. Yeah, that I I will stand by you through literally anything. There, a guy I went to rehab with, um, very similar to, to John's position. Um, I I took him off the street. I went to pick him up from York train station. He's from Newcastle, and he was on the he was on a bridge, and I drove to York and I I pulled him off the bridge, um, and he's an alcoholic, and I. Near me, all right. Sorry about that. That's all right. So we'll go back. So we'll, we'll splice that in. So you, uh, do you want to go back about 30 seconds? Yeah. So no, what I was saying, John hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Is that you can only take, uh, this the old cliche of, you can take a horse to water. Um, and the fact is, is when you put yourself in that arena, as, as John says there, is that ultimately what you're trying to do is, encourage people and grab people and say come on you can do this and i'll be your strength when you're at your weakest and that's the position that i'm willing to put myself in uh, and that i have done very similar to john is that i had a, a the, one of the guys in rehab was on a bridge um trying to trying to well contemplating suicide and i drove to york and i pulled him off the bridge and i took him back to our home gave him a roof over his head. Um, but ultimately, when I then put him back on the train to go back to his hometown of Newcastle, uh, and I get a phone call three hours later from his missus uh, saying that John's gone missing and he's taken all the money out of his bank account to go and buy a drink. And then I get a phone call from the police saying we've had to arrest John because he, we pulled him off the side of a bridge and he gave us your contact number. There's only so much you can do. Yeah. And, and you can fight with all your might uh, till you're blue in the face. But ultimately, you can take somebody up to a certain point. The final decision of whether you cross, cross that threshold lies with the individual. Yeah. So for me, 
I reached out to Greg Reed and Doc uh, at Cambridge United, um, had the support. They gave me all the support I could. Um, they led me along the way, supported me. But ultimately, I didn't commit. I wasn't ready. Um, I didn't truly open up. So when I went to see my therapist, I would lie. I would say everything's fine, etc. I'd go away and I'd start taking drugs again. And that was a revolving cycle. And it's not until you accept that word acceptance again, it, until you accept and cross that threshold as actually, no, you take a stand. I'm in, I'm in this now. And trust me, the, I went into detox and I went into rehab and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not ever going to paint it out to people as being easy because it was awful, absolutely horrible because you, and I'm not physically, not, not physically, emotionally draining because you learn to get in touch with emotions that you've probably never felt before in your life. Yeah. Um, I, I cried pretty much every day and it's not until you enter the arena, as John said, that you kind of think, okay, right, I'm here now. I've, I've cemented my place here. Okay, this is, this is why I'm here. I've, I've been put here for a reason. And I want to drag as many people as I can into this arena. Some people won't. And you, you can't physically do it for them. They have to do it themselves. Yeah. Would you like to add anything, John? just um i'm just listening intently honestly sometimes as much as uh you have a knowledge of um certain aspects of where we both are sometimes it's just nice to hear other people's stories and uh, and hearing liam's path of life and his Man United experience and it just you know we've spoken on here what I suppose we've talked about football for about 20 minutes yeah. and then we must have spoken about life <laughs> for an hour or so I suppose just you know and it is mental health we talking, we're talking about here but basically we're just talking about life yeah, the lives of people <laughs> and what you want in terms of how you want your life to unfold in front of you and whether you want to be what someone would describe as a decent person or an angry person or a shy person or whatever it is, you know, there are lots of, you know, as we, I said earlier, lots of different paths to go down. Yeah. And, and, and with Liam and I having a knowledge and listen, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, my mind's now whirring around thinking, actually, where can I now help Liam? You know, can I help Liam with his wand and stuff? And does he, would he like me to get involved? And, and, I, and honestly, I'm thinking, actually, I've got this job, but obviously Liam gets paid for what he does. So now I'm thinking, well, actually, does he want a partner in help? And could I do that? And am I better and qualified to do that than I am because I've lived it than I am just running a storage facility in Ipswich? So... <laughs> You know, from one podcast, from one conversation with, you know, the fact that Dan, I used to go back to Cambridge to, to get on really well with your brother. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's now just opened a completely another another door in my mindset. So who knows? But it's um. This is the power. I'm not just saying it, but this is like the power of podcast. You know, we we chatted it a couple of weeks ago. You know, if it, if if you know even one person listens to this, you know, and they've got they've got the headphones on while whilst they're at work or something like that, and they listen to this, and it's something that one of us says in the tone of voice that we say it in resonates with one person to 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 just go inwards and begin to take personal responsibility and action. Then that's all we can ask for. Do you know what I mean? It's of course and what what john was saying there like i i'm of uh, it's really funny because i spoke to graham daniels yesterday um after being on on the show with him and i mentioned uh you john to to him and and getting involved because i just think that at the minute i set up one this was an idea that i i've brought to life because i'm passionate about it i i don't see it working unless people have the same mindset and want the same things as i do this is not going to be successful unless we have people pushing that message and the 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 doors never close at one um as the saying goes because i i think that this could potentially be the one of the driving forces in mental health and mental illness and and making people realize that there's so many people and the more people that we have come on board to drive that message and share their story can only benefit people who hear that message i mean i listen i listen with so much respect and um and you know one of the the big things for me is hearing your story john and others uh, other people's stories because that empowers me um, mm. as a person and and not only that it helps me on my journey because it just reassures me that I'm not alone in this and there's other people out there that do want to help and do want to share their story and what a story it is because um, every single one's unique you know there's not two stories the same and this is what WAND is all about. It's a platform to, to give people a voice to go and share their stories to different places. And I found it difficult, I'll be really honest. I found it so difficult to, to get the time of day with people because I found that a lot of people want to say they're doing their bit for mental health without actually taking action. Whereas I'm trying to take action and getting my foot in the door with people is really difficult uh but if you just give the people like me uh john the time of day it's it's not like we don't know what we're talking about yeah. we might not have a degree in it but you know we've got life experience and we can help people but just getting people to listen is sometimes the hardest thing yeah yeah i, I just gotta say one thing Hugh, and it's a I've only got 20% battery mode left, Daniel, on my thing. So you'll have to cut that out. So I'm hoping that we'll, um, we're not going to be on the for too much longer. But Husey, yeah. honestly, who came up with the idea of one? Please, please don't tell me. Please don't tell me that was you because it's, it's an absolutely fantastic name. I'll be, do you want me to be deadly honest? Go on. I thought yeah. about it. I'll be, I thought about it. 
on my last day of rehab and I still have the piece of paper that I scribbled all the names down on. And it started off with, um, I, I, I had Wish, um, and I had so, because I wanted it to be an, like an anagram or something. Uh, so like the, um, the, the, the letters to actually mean something. And as you yeah. know, um, it, <laughs> it's a uh, was it, terminology. Was it well-being well and... No, wisdom and new direction. And as you wisdom know, the, if, um, it's a very much an addiction term because when you go to meetings, uh, NA or AA, there's always a, a, a speaker. There's, so there's the, um, there's the person who chairs the meeting and, and they tend to have somebody who comes in to share their experiences. And um, I, go, I go every week, Liam. I remember... And this is a little story. I remember going to a meeting and Eric Clapton was the chair. Bloody hell. And I was like, whoa. And um, he said, I'm not having a speaker today because I want to share my wisdom. And that always stuck with me. And um, the new direction is basically because you can, no matter what direction you're going in, you can always change it. Whether you're on the right path, the wrong path, um, you can always change the direction in which you're going in because it's your choice. Yeah. So that's how I came up with the, the, the name wisdom and new direction in answer yeah. to your question. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> so guys, I think that's probably uh, a good time to wrap it up. So uh, Husey, do you want to just give us well, what we'll do? We'll put it, put it in the description on the YouTube channel, but yeah, of course. Uh, where, where can they where can they find you? Where can they find one? What what is your sort of you know your social media tags? And yeah, so um, we're on all social media. We don't have a website because a lot of the contacts that we have um, come through social media. Uh, a lot of the people that I know are on social media, and it's a good way of marketing what we're doing. Um, and so we're on uh, Facebook Wand um, Dash wisdom and new direction uh instagram at one dot talks and on uh, twitter at one talks so um we're busy behind the scenes um obviously doing things like this um i've got a project that we'll be delivering to youth teams across the uk called trapped inside the box that i've just designed um and that's the thing is that with what we're doing everything is from scratch it's not like i'm sourcing anything from anywhere else everything that we create and we design here from the house um i'm hoping i'm trying to build a team i've got a lady on board called sunice who directly works with young and vulnerable women that are pot potentially going through domestic abuse or young pregnancy or single parent or anything like that with young and vulnerable women so i've got that team um, set up and, and, and really hitting that uh, message home. So it's just about building now and getting through the door to get that um, that first initial contact that I'm sure um, a lot of people will be willing to help, hopefully. Nice one, Liam. Thanks, mate. Shaggy, any uh, anything that you'd um, like to leave the podcast on or...? Any any closing arguments? Any closing arguments, <laughs> Your Your Honour, you know. Yeah, yeah. Listen, honestly, it's it's been fantastic. Um, you mentioned it early, Dan. If one person picks up the phone to to Liam at Wand or 
makes contact with an, you know, AA, GA, NA, whatever it is, if it helps one person, then, you know, we'll have spent the last couple of hours just chatting about our lives. That's all we've done. And if it helps someone, then fantastic. And, um, you know, I'm Dan, whatever your contact you've got, you've got my contact details. So if anybody contacts you and they just want to talk, yeah. then you're, you're more than welcome to give me my details. It's, um, it's been a pleasure um, speaking to you both, and I'm sure that we'll, um, we'll do it again soon. Stay Absolutely. safe. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dan. You take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers, boys.